This episode of Beyond the Panel recorded live from the laundry room of the Xavier Institute for Gifted Youngsters. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of the Beyond the Panel podcast. Uh, my name is Colin. I'm Jared. Today, we figured uh, the best thing to do would be to like give you a chance to sort of get to know us as your hosts, establish credentials uh, of some sort. This is like proving we're not fake fans. We're going to go through each other's browsing history. <laughs> Just let me edit some stuff real quick uh, before I screen share that. No, um, we're going to go through our top five favorite comic stories, respectively. I say stories and not books because it can encompass miniseries. It could be a single issue. It could be a story arc. Uh, there, there's, it, I, I didn't want to like be like, it has to be a book. It has to have been released like this. It's just like co- comic stories that you liked or that were important to you. So, I mean, for me, I went not with ones that I necessarily think are like the pinnacle the of the best or yeah. Like, yeah, not, not the, like, like you, there's plenty of lists out there, you know, like the best Batman comics of all time yeah. or the best, or the best Spider-Man comics. Like, what we consider what our favorites might be can very well different be from what people exactly the best. I I know that I have a few on my list that are going to be considered not very good. And I'm okay with that because I like them. I enjoy them or they're important to me. Uh, Also, there was a rule that we couldn't put killing joke on the list. (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't have any Batman comics on my list. Just not allowed. Uh, I have one or more. Uh, Maybe. Um, (laughs) No, uh, but killing the only thing Killing Joke is my favorite of is my favorite thing Alan Moore hates is Killing Joke. <laughs> I think he hates Watchmen more at this point, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but he he he. I, I think he regularly talks about like how dumb Killing Joke is. He's like, it was so stupid. I just did it for the paycheck. I'm like, yeah, but that's yeah. cool. But every a lot of people like really enjoy it. And he's like, well, they shouldn't. I'm like, it's a little weird, but okay, <laughs> thanks. But, but, uh... Joke that Sal for Comic Pop makes, like, oh, I guess I just went and made the most definitive joke story of all time. Whoops. Yeah, right. It's just like, well, I I hate it and I think it was stupid, but I guess it's completely definitive and genre defining now. But it's stupid. It's like, what? I, I feel like if, as a creator, you make something that seminal, um, constantly bringing up how much you hate it just sounds dumb. Like it makes you sound almost ungrateful for the praise you got for it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a weird it's, I, I guess yeah. Like he's been in the industry for a long time, yeah. so he can he's allowed to feel jaded about things. But like he's, I, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's weird to me because he's so talented, right? Like he's written yeah. so many very good things, and then it just seems like now he's content to just sit back and complain about the how people choose to enjoy or consume the things he created. He's like, no, not like that. Why? <laughs> just let, let us like this stuff. <laughs> Please. Um, but yeah, uh, Killing Joke will not be on here. Um, it's like the only like seminal title that's like on every list that I wanted to that I could think of to make a joke about. Um, yeah, I think it really is like the biggest one that people always have on some list. The other ones can be. And, you know, like I think like especially with Batman, it's like year one or yeah. long Halloween or anything like that. Like those I can think- kind of come and go on some lists, but like. Killing Joke's always on there somewhere. And I mean, Killing Joke, just to talk about it a little bit more, is such a good, I guess, like, in a way, it's like, it's a good introduction to reading comics. There's, yeah, it's short and sweet. There's not yeah. really, it's not steeped in, like, canon no, or history. No, it's, it's just this little, like, slice of Batman 
but you get the pinnacle of like yeah. the character. And, it's and like the joke relatively, uh, it's relatively like this could be any time, any place, but it is also dating itself a little bit by some of the events that happen. So it is like, it's not super specific, but it's just specific enough that you can be like, oh yeah, I can kind of see when this happens, right? Or if you're like a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series, you can be like, this takes place a few years after Batman the Animated Series. Well, it's right. only dated because people have worked their stories yeah, exactly, around right? At the time, it wasn't. No, um, like, everyone had, like, once it became, like, established as, like, clearly in canon, everyone started building off of it or yeah. around it, and then it kind of got put into this place in the timeline. Which also... So when it came out, it was just its own thing. It also makes people like, but did Batman kill the Joker at the end? It's like, well, obviously not, because no. Barbara got crippled and Joker's still alive, so... Maybe, maybe Killing Joke should have just been a standalone story forever. Who knows? Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth from five up all the way up to one. We're going to talk about our favorite books or stories, uh, share why we like them, uh, be judged by the other person for them. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we're able to have some fun discussion in and around those books. So, Jared, you can go first because okay. I'm a gracious and loving host. <laughs> And you want to be the you want to go last. <laughs> I didn't actually even think of that. I just wanted you to go first. Okay. Uh, well, line number five is uh, an indie title. I guess Ooh. no, not really an indie. In the fact, it's not the big two. Um, right. And it's a uh, Hellboy comic. Hellboy has been one of my favorite series for a long time. Uh, like I love the, the Guillermo Toro movies. We don't really talk about the new the newer one. No, uh, no we don't. <laughs> But this one is actually came out pretty recently. This only came out back in 2021. Um, it was the and like Hellboy for a while had not had his own. His story ended like years ago. Like his actual main comic run was just done. But he's shown up in other things. Like there's been like spinoff titles and stuff. But this is the first like just Hellboy comic to come out in quite a while. Right. Uh, and it's called Hellboy: The Bones of Giants. Uh, it's written by it's written by Mike Mignola and co-written by uh, Christopher Golden. And the art is by uh, Matt Smith, not the Doctor Who. Oh, man. Uh, I was like, oh, he's doing uh, artwork now? <laughs> what? Man, what can that man do? That's amazing. He's acting, he's drawing, he's in Morbius. Wow. Well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... it's Hellboy Bone and Giants is very much what I consider. It's a... Just like a vertical slice of what a Hellboy comic is. It's right. gothic, it's funny it's uh like a full adventure and action and it's just a really fun story to read and you don't really need to have any sort of like prior knowledge of his history or anything it's just here's hellboy on an adventure right and the basic premise is basically the basic premise is that uh there's like during a storm this guy's like out fishing i don't know why he's fishing in a storm but uh lightning strikes this place nearby and he goes to check it out after the storm passes and there's a body there holding a hammer. And it's clearly the body of Thor. What? And he's been there for a long what? time. Because the body's all decayed. Okay, like, okay, but is it like, like, is it like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Marvel Comics Thor? Or is this like Norse Thor? This is old Norse mythology Thor. Okay, like, Norse mythology. mythology for, yeah, Hellboy's such mythology, they're touch different aspects of mythology for... Also, that's a terrible pun. No, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I hope he catches. I caught that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is Hellboy's been steeped in mythology. Let's talk about different 
it's like yeah. dealt with different characters before. I mean, like the Baba Yaga is a mainstay character in the franchise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is Norse mythology Thor. And cool. basically, did not give up the whole premise of the book. Basically, Hellboy and the BPRD, which is the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense, uh, uh, are called in. Him and his buddy Ape Sapien, who's like a fish man, who's one of the best characters ever. Ape Sapien's great. Truly. Um, they're called, yeah, he's really fun. He's uh, Doug Jones plays him fantastically in the movies. Uh, he they come up they come up to investigate and Hellboy being Hellboy picks up Mjolnir and Bro, there's a great moment there's a great moment early on where they're talking to like the the researchers who have already been there the regular people and they're like yeah every every time someone got too close like lightning striked and no one's tried to pick it up yet and then Hellboy's already holding it and he's like what's that about lightning and just bam he just gets nailed by a lightning bolt nice. while holding a hammer. Oh my gosh! And he starts seeing like, and he starts seeing visions of Thor back in the old Norse mythology days of him fighting Jormungandr. Okay. And world snake. Basically, from there, basically the premise is that Thor has now Hellboy has the hammer, and it's guiding him to something. Like there's some sort of unfinished business that Thor didn't get the chance to take care of, and now Hellboy, while wielding Mjolnir the whole time, because the thing's basically like fused to his hand. It's just him in the right hand. It's just the right hand of Doom is holding Mjolnir the whole time, which looks great. It's a great image of him holding Mjolnir. Right. And it's like classic, like kind of mythology Mjolnir. It doesn't look like the MCU version. It actually looks pretty close to the way Mjolnir looks in God of War Ragnarok, for those of you who have, for any glitches that have played it. Yeah. Um, it actually looks pretty similar to that. But it's basically just him going on this adventure. Like there's bad guys, there's a evil, like frost giant that's might be coming, that's trying to come back. That's the whole, like they're trying to resurrect. And it's just, it's just a really fun story. It's that just there's awesome. action. There's like good comedy bits, like I mentioned. It's just, it's just a lot of fun, and it's a perfect encapsulation of what Hellboy is. Not to downplay, not to downplay the print medium, but I would actually love to see that as an animated film. Oh yeah, it would be amazing. Like, I would love to see it. Like, like I want animated. to read it, but it also sounds like the there's the visually animated that would look so cool. And we have proof that it works because there have been two Hellboy animated movies, and both of yeah. them are really good. So. Hopefully, it'd be cool if they like got like a uh, animation. Yeah, no, but it's Dark Horse, and they don't only have their own animation department. So, right, yeah, it'd be cool though. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's my number five. That's your number five. Okay, my number five is. Uh, I had a really hard time picking my number five. My first, my top three were easy. My top four was when I remembered it easy. Five was like really hard. I had so many books and stories. I was like, do I want to pick like the, the 80, 1984 Secret Wars or? Hard to narrow down. I had like eight on yeah, the right. list. And I had to cut it down. Um, and I was like, this is tough. So, like, I guess this is my like uh, honorable mentions, like Secret Wars, because I love Secret Wars. I've also met the artist for Secret Wars. Oh, nice. Uh, it was uh, fantastic. Um, Devil's Reign, which is very recent, but I thought was fantastic. Oh, yeah, they did a little event, right? Yeah, that was yeah. really fun. Um, Avengers Tech On was kind of like on there. I'm like, this is really cool. This is a really cool concept. That book is ridiculous. Uh, it's but it is it's ridiculous in a, such a good way. It's like a, a, a Neon Genesis Evangelion g- um, the mecha thing. It's it's really cool. It's, it's like it's, it's that's like Avenger Super Sentai. It's like yes, thank you, Super Sentai. It's that's yeah. that's what it is. It's awesome. It's fantastic, but uh, no, I actually, my number five, and this is a controversial pick, and I know it, is Heroes Reborn by Jason Aaron. Uh, okay. Um, so this came out in, I want to say 2020, or tw- maybe it was 2021, I don't remember. 
Um, I think it was middle of the pandemic at least because yeah. there was like delays and stuff because of the pandemic. No, no, you know what? It was it was 2021 because I was I had moved out by that point. I think I was married, okay. but I, I don't think I was married yet. But I didn't live at my parents' place anymore. So mm-hmm. 2021, it came out and uh, it spun out of Jason Aaron's Avengers title, where Mephisto has been being built up as this big bad, and he manipulates things so the world is different now. Um, hoo-hoo. So, uh, the only person who remembers is Blade. Why? Because comics. It's, it's Blade. We wanted, to, we wanted we wanted, to use Blade as a point of view character. We need more Blade. Yeah, we do need more Blade. Blade's awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, basically, Mephisto rules this universe, but, like, subtly. Uh, the Avengers never existed, and in their place are the Squadron Supreme, which is, as uh, some of you may know, a complete blatant ripoff of the Justice League, literally. <laughs> yeah. Every single member of the Squadron Supreme is an XB of the Justice League. Um, except they're jerks. Uh, they're huge, total jerks. Um, but it's really fun. I read every major issue and several tie-ins, um, and it, it put a really cool world together. Uh, it was also kind of fun to watch Blade slowly um, re-recruit members, like original members of the Avengers, and like get them back. Um, and it culminated in a fun fight between the Squadron and the Avengers, and in the end, uh, Nighthawk, who the, was their Batman XB, basically was pissed off that he was essentially created to be a, like a soulless puppet of Mephisto. Yeah. And uh, he ends up joining the Avengers uh, down the line. Cause he's like, like the, the, the Avengers basically like, like you can do some good, but you can do it like on your own terms now. And you can do it as a, as you. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll join. Um, and I think Nighthawk's cool. Cause like, who doesn't want like a, a, a basically Batman, but not quite in Marvel. <laughs> You know, because yeah. like Moon Knight's not bad anymore. Moon Knight's Moon Knight's a little more off the deep end now. Um, I'm getting the Moon Knight, but I've I've hold firm that he's never really been just Marvel's Batman. There's been similarities, but he's I th- it's I, very I, in the early well. days. I think the similarities were like way stronger. Um, yeah. Once yeah, they I developed so. the um, multiple personalities idea, aspect, yeah. that really just it's he that just took on a life of its own, and he's now his own thing. But like in the early days, he definitely was very um, kind of like this is basically Marvel's Batman. He throws th- throws shaped boomerangs and <laughs> has a cape and stalks the night. He just wears white instead of black. But no, uh, so yeah, uh, Heroes Reborn is really fun. I know it's not necessarily like I said, like good. Um, but I think it's really fun. I think seeing how regular characters got subverted into different things was a lot of fun. And also, like, each issue focuses of, like, a, the main series follows a different member of the Squadron Supreme. And we get to sort of see uh, how they impacted the greater Marvel Universe being themselves. And it's, it's really cool. I really like it. That's my number five. Yeah, it definitely sounds like an interesting concept. It was fun. It was fun. It's also in volume one of Beyond the Panel, which I'm not sure if it's still up anywhere. um, I pitched a very similar idea where Mephisto uh, changes things. And then this came out like a year later. And I was like, okay, Marvel, if you just if you're listening to my (laughs) podcast, just say so. (laughs) Where's my address for the track? Um, Who is the artist on it? Do you remember? Oh, no, no, I don't. No. Okay. 
But right, so, so yeah, so that's that's it. Okay, your number four though. All right, my number four. Uh, now we're moving to DC uh, briefly. My number four is this has a number of different titles, but uh, JLA: The New Frontier. Ooh, uh, ooh. By both written and drawn by Darwin Cook, who is a master. May he rest in peace. Uh, yeah, rest in peace. Uh, the man was a fantastic. Is just a, one of those like pillars of the comic book community. Agreed. And in general, uh, it's had a number of different. Like it's JLA: The New Frontier. It's DC: The New Frontier. It's just it's had a number of different titles over the years, but um, it's just. For the longest time, this was my favorite DC comic. It's fantastic. Uh, it's gorgeous. Like the, I cannot gush enough about the art style because it's this like '50s kind of Americana, mm-hmm. very kind of pop art style to it, and it looks it's, so good. It, honestly, like, all the characters it, look so amazing. Like I want like just a, I just want like a line of statues yeah. and action figures of every one of them. When I first saw it, um, I was like, "It's giving Archie comics." <laughs> And like it, it, I mean that in a good way. Like it's capturing that time period so well. Way more stylized, I think. Beautiful. Oh, definitely. Uses, but like, like, just like, yeah, that kind of fifties Americana, yeah. mm-hmm. like fifties, sixties Americana slice. But yeah, it's uh, it's wholly divorced from the main DC canon. I don't know if it's really considered an Elseworlds story. It's just another universe. Um, it's the self-contained thing. It's just. It's a big book. It's long because there's a lot of stuff packed into it, but it's one and done. Um, and I mean, the basic premise is just it's this era of DC where the heroes, everyone's operating around this time of like the the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. And and it kind of starts up a bit early because you got to go through a bit of a time. It kind of jumps through time a little bit, but not by too much. But like all the major players, uh, it brings in pretty much all the major players in the DC universe. Um so you, you have the Trinity, you have Green Lantern, you have a lot of the core members of the Justice League. Um, you have characters like the Challengers of the Unknown and like the, I think they're called the Losers, like the Rick Flags group. Like people I hadn't even really known of before until I read the comic. Yeah. And they all get these little vignettes and stuff. And there's like some, uh, like the old school, the like a uh, Justice Society members are in there. Yeah. It's like uh, the whole book as a whole. It's like it's a tr- it's showing like in real time a transition from the golden age to the silver age. Yeah, it's very much a love letter to like golden age comics and like mm-hmm. golden age DC. Uh, the premise is kind of hard to explain because there's a lot packed in, but basically it shows kind of a lot of the beginnings of some of the character of some of the characters and like some like the origins of some teams like Challengers of the Unknown and such. And yeah, or like in the case of yeah. Batman, how he became how he changed from what he was in the golden age. To his Silver Age incarnation and like what? Yeah, like he starts off drew him to that. Yeah, there's a great moment. Like there's a great moment that like he he's infiltrating this like this cult that's kidnapped the young kid. The young kid, Batman shows up, takes it down, and the kid's afraid of him. And he's like, I didn't do this to scare children. I scared this to scare. I did this to scare criminals. And then the next time you see him, he's in kind of his like 60s Adam West. I think it really is the Adam West outfit. Yeah, but it's the Adam West Batman. Uh, like, like, not as goofy, like it's definitely more like heroic fitting. It's Darwin Cook drawing it, so it still looks really good. Yeah, and he's got Robin um, with him now too. Yeah, he has Robin with him, and he's talking with Superman. Like they've actually kind of worked together a bit now. Um, yeah, it kind of follows perspective for a bit from Martian Manhunter, which is interesting. Um, it shows him getting beamed down, to, getting get teleported to Earth for the first time, and it's him like yeah. learning to live in this world. And then like there's a big like the overarching plot is this big threat of this like alien creature. 
not Starro, but it's a in case people are wondering if it's a nod to the first issue, the first appearance of the Justice League. But there's another character, and at the end of it all, they all come together. They beat the bad guy, and then it's kind of a celebration of the future, and ends with a quote from uh, JFK. I think talking about the space race. It's the new frontier speech, yeah. Yeah, literally like going into the new frontier, and it's just it's hard to describe because it's there's so much in there. If you don't have the time to read it, no, watch the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, the movie does a really good job. It, the movie cuts out a lot of like the small, like you don't get the challenges unknown and stuff. You yeah, don't get, like smaller, some smaller vignettes, but it's still. Get to the core. And if you like um, the movie, then go like take the time yeah, and read definitely. the comic because the movie summarizes the major characters. And they adapted the art style really well. Oh, so if yeah. you think this movie looks really good, then you're going to love the art style in the book. But yeah, it's just it's a great kind of like snow globe of DC in that era and looking and like being able to look appearing at it. And like all the characters are really well written. Superman's mm-hmm. like hopeful and optimistic. Wonder Woman's like a bit more. I don't want to say jaded, but she's a bit more cynical, toughened. Yeah. And cynical because she's seen some like I think it takes place. Part of it takes place. Or I think the Vietnam War and or if not the Viet- uh, I think the Vietnam War. I'm not sh- my American history is not great, but there's some dark stuff she sees there that kind of makes her a bit more cynical and jaded about things. Um, maybe the, I think it might be the Korean War, actually, because uh, Hal is like a Hal is interesting because he's actually a uh, pacifist. Uh, yeah. Even though, like he, like he refused. Like, there's a great moment with him and a Korean and a and a soldier, a sol- enemy soldier that I won't spoil. But it like kind of helps define his character. Um, and he looks like Green Lantern. Cook draws Green Lantern so great. Like Green Lantern is my favorite. Green Lantern is my favorite DC character, and he makes Hal look so good. Like the like yeah, the, the Korean green War. light looks so good. Oh, it is. Okay. So so Hal's thing happens at the end of the Korean War. Yeah, and right then the Superman end. and Wonder Woman's thing happens in the early years of the Vietnam War. So you gotcha. were correct okay. on both. All right, cool. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to define, but it's just such a great book. Definitely go read it if you're curious, or if not, if you don't want to read the full book or find it, go watch the movie because the movie does a really good job. Of, the movie gets the core of it really well, uh, and then just basically the book is just that and more. But it's such a great book talking about it's such a great I'm repeating myself a lot. It talks it's a great look at DC. And it's just it's a fun, hopeful, optimistic, and just joyous celebration of what DC is. And it doesn't feel the need like a lot of book a lot of DC books nowadays or even back in like the I think this came out in like the nineties, I think, uh, if I recall, or the early two thousands, but it doesn't go into that like dark and brooding kind of era that DC's had for no. quite a while. And, and understands nice what Kingdom Come was trying air. to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's a breath of fresh air, and it's just it's really good. So, I mean, if I keep talking, I'm just keep repeating myself. So just yeah. go read it or go watch the movie. Just please. I just, I keep bringing up, I'm, I'm, uh, I've gotten really bad about it. Uh, it was also 2004 was when it came okay. out. Uh, I'm really bad about just, like, bringing up Kingdom Come whenever people are talking about <laughs> Dark and Burning Come. i like, you clearly did not understand the message of Kingdom Come. You need to sit down and talk with Mark Wade, you idiot. Um, don't watch The Boys. Read Kingdom Come. And then watch something nice. I kind of like The Boys, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I joke, and I this will be, like, a whole other, like, probably, like, a whole episode on, like, Dark things. But I respect stuff like The Boys and whatever. I think it's very well done. But I don't like the 
increasing tendency to be like, let's subvert superheroes and let's make them dark and, and mean. And, oh, what if Superman was like evil and killed people? Wouldn't that be so much cooler? And I'm like, no, it would not be. Not not even a little bit. It's an interesting idea in the beginning. Then we got it for the, like the 13th time. It's there's, like, there's right, certain the things where it's done well, like an injustice. It's like, OK, well, we have a reason why. And he's wrong. And he's he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy who's like gone way too far and whatever, but and he gets pushed by the people around. To yeah, do more and more. but then you get things where people are just like, okay, but like Homelander's so cool, right? And it's like, no, he's a bad <laughs> person. Stop. <laughs> Anyways, my number four. Um, again, not a book you could, that I don't think I, I don't think it's a book most people classify as traditionally good, but it's one I love. JLA Avengers. Ooh, it okay. is oh man okay so i got to read this i i was very lucky that um to get one of the limited run uh paperbacks uh around the time of george perez's passing yeah you're very lucky because they had yes. a limited release of yeah. a reprint our, of the original at our story. local comic store i asked i'm like hey if you guys get them in set one aside for me and i think they got like four in and i was like the second person to ask I'm surprised I got any copies in, honestly, because this was like there weren't that many even across the states. I, like, I think like maybe ten thousand, yeah. Yeah, but I'm I, I think I think they wanted because like uh, it wasn't a thing where it was like this is just for the money. I think they wanted to make sure that as many people could get it as wanted it, right? Like I think they wanted to like spread the copies out so people could get them. But also, they could have. I think they could have printed more. Like than they did. I don't know why it was such a limited run overall. Uh, I think it's because it's the charity thing, and you know, people. I I think it's you want to sell it out so you have the money for the charity, and if it's not limited run, people are gonna be like, well, maybe later, right? I think if it is limited, it leads to the whole issue like the scalpers and stuff. Well, and that's the problem. And I mean, like, even the people I was talking to at the LCS who sold it to me, um, were like. This it's it's I they they were even like it's super gross that people are trying to scalp like this book specifically like this is a charity book for a a the for a dying man um I don't remember if he was dying or if he'd already passed at the time but it's like this is a charity book and people are like oh, I wonder how much money I can get for this on eBay it's like you shouldn't be thinking of that right um, yeah no and I think they even said like they were glad that I was able to get a copy because they, they Maybe knew that I was on eBay after like 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, like they knew that I was going to like enjoy reading it and like keep it and be like, this is a treasured possession of mine now. Um, yeah. so anyways, JLA Avengers, um, the general plot is some cosmic beings. I believe one, uh, the grandmaster and Metron specifically are like, what if we mucked about and, then there's this other dude whose name I forget, and he's like, I want to know what happens at the beginning of a universe. I demand to know. I don't want to know in theoretical terms. I want to know. I want to see it happen. So I'm going to destroy a universe so I can watch a new one be born. And it's like, okay, man. All right. Pretty pretty weird of you, but okay. And <laughs> um, basically, it ends up blurring the lines between the Marvel and DC universe and the Justice League and Avengers have to fight, and it's awesome. And then they have check. to... The individual's name is Krona, by the way. Krona, thank you. I knew it was something similar to that, and I was like, I just oh, don't... He's, a, he's an Owen? Like, he's a guardian? Oh, okay. That makes okay. sense. He's blue. Yeah. All right. Well, he's um, an Owen. He's not one of the guardians, but he's an Owen. Apparently. Yeah, he's blue. 
Um, yeah. but yeah, so he wants to, he's, he's insistent on knowing what happens at the beginning of the universe. Um, so the Justice League and Avengers have to fight. And this is like the late nineties, early two thousands. So it's like my favorite roster of the Avengers. It's like Cap, uh, Tony Thor, Clint, Scarlet Witch, you know, it's, it's, it's your heavy hitters from the Avengers. It's like when you think of the classic Avengers, these are the people that like you're immediately thinking of. The ones you've seen in the movies. Not just the ones you've seen in the movies, but, like, the ones who it's, like, these are, like, the most stalwart members of the Avengers. Which means they've ended up in the movies, but it's, like, they're all here, all together, at the same time. Um, no one's, no one's mad at Wanda yet. We haven't gotten there. Poor Wanda. Um, poor Wanda. Uh, but no, it's really fun, and uh, a couple of my favorite moments are, one is, like, Captain America and Superman hate each other and no one can figure out why because it's like, okay, these guys are usually like so reasonable and like amenable to other people. Why are they like so determined to beat the crap out of each other? Um, and like Cap Superman is like flying around the Marvel universe and he's like, what is this? This place is a mess. Clearly these heroes are doing no work. What useless heroes. And Cap's looking at the DC universe like, oh, they're worshiping their heroes here. Clearly they are godlike tyrants. Pathetic. <laughs> oh boy. And it's like, oh, they just hate each other. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and it turns out that Cap and uh, Superman are so intrinsically tied to their universes um, that being outside of it screws them up. Okay. Right? Uh, And it's like they can tell something's wrong because they're like like on the wavelength of their universe. And um, in the end, we get a giant battle as the Avengers and the JLA team up and storm the gates, essentially, to stop Corona. And it's amazing. And they do a few really fun things. One, Cap and Superman finally realize, hey, okay, maybe we're just, maybe we've just been jerks to each other. And maybe we were both ticked off because um, we kind of thought the other guy was right. Like, Superman's like, you know what? Sometimes I do struggle with, like, what if we're doing too much? Like, what if we're pushing too hard and we're not giving them enough free will to do what they they, they want to do? What if we're becoming tyrants and caps? Like, and sometimes I worry, like, should we be doing more? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, oh, Funny wow. What a- process kind of leads into is kind of like tipping for, for, for injustice in a way. Superman's like, are we doing too much? And then like, they yeah. do too much. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, are we doing too much? And Cap's like, are we not doing enough? And it's like such an interesting reflection on like both universes because like the DC and Marvel universes are so different. Like in DC, the heroes are revered and, you know, there's the Flash Museum. And in Marvel Universe, with the exception of like a few major league heroes, most of them aren't super trusted. Especially it's not like four, basically. They're the ones that are really like, you know, popular in the public eye. Yeah, like Cap. And, and Captain America. Cap, Iron Man, Thor. Everyone, I don't think people even really cared for. I don't think Iron Man was even really like popular. He, no, no, but like in, 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 in the universe, it's like, oh, this is t- it's either oh man, he's billionaire Tony Stark, he's so cool, or oh, he's the bodyguard of billionaire Tony Stark, that's so cool, yeah. right? Like he's he's well liked by the public, but like the vast majority of other heroes were a villain at some point or have terrible publicity. So <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Whereas everyone in the DC universe, for the most part, is like such a noble paragon. And it's an interesting comparison. And then, yeah. um, 
you know, also interestingly, uh, so they decide, okay, we're going to have the big fight, but someone needs to lead us. And they're all like, it should be Captain America. And Superman's like, I agree, it should be Captain America. This man's a great tactician. And so Cap is like, hey, Superman, you can use my shield. And Superman's like, nice. She has Superman wielding Cap's <laughs> shield. Cap is up in like the command ship. Martian Manhunter has linked everyone's minds together. So Cap yeah. can give orders to everyone at the same time. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is the most comic book battle ever <laughs> and then just to give george perez some fun they're like what if time was like fluctuating the whole time so the rosters of both teams kept changing and their costumes oh, wow. too oh wow <laughs> so it's everybody it's just like you're essentially just looking at the history of the avengers of the justice league in like the span of like 15 pages People who were dead are suddenly there for a little while, and then they're not. Uh, Captain America is suddenly in his like U.S. agent, the Captain costume for a little while. Superman's like got his mullet again. Oh, it's no, just like, oh, it's it's awesome. And then at the end, Superman picks up Mjolnir, and that's where you get the awesome shot of him with Cap Shield and Mjolnir, and uh, it's amazing. It's just it's so it. it, it to me, more than Secret Wars, feels like a kid flipped all his toys over out of a toy box <laughs> and was like, let's go! Yeah. But, like, in the best, most earnest way. It does not feel cynical. It does not feel like, oh, man, we're going to make this and we're going to sell so many action figures. It feels like, oh, we're going to make this and it's going to be so much fun. Because it's Busaic and Perez. Yeah, I feel like we'd be remiss to not talk we spit about Perez's art specifically. It's it's gorgeous. It's I he is my favorite comic book artist probably ever. Um, that's a very valid pick. He's not mine, but that's a very no. Valid I, pick. I I I know there's other people, I, I, and nowadays like the art styles have gotten very modern and very like stylistic. I totally respect that. But for me, there's just something I adore about Perez's bright, spangly art. Everyone looks like a superhero. And it's just Everyone like looks like an action figure. Yes, and it's amazing. And yeah. Busaic. I, I'm going to talk more about Busaic later because I think Busaic is probably one of my favorite writers too. Um, <laughs> but Busaic weaves everything together so well. This is a story that easily could have gone so off the rails and not made any sense, but he actually manages to weave in references and fun and whatever and make it a fun read for you. Busaic, I think, is so good at like what the Russos did with Infinity War, where it's like, okay, well, we get here's a ton of characters, and he's like, well, I'm gonna make this make sense. I'm gonna yeah, give everybody good good time. I'm gonna play to everyone's strengths, and it's like this man is a great writer. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I just think JLA Avengers is, in my opinion, just like the most fun, earnest depiction of of comic books. It's was like, it, was, go ahead. Sorry, was this event the one that led into Amalgam? Or is that no, different? that was Marvel versus DC, which is much worse. Uh, I've okay. also read that. It's fun, but much worse. Because that okay. was... Everybody got paired up for like a, a death battle style fight, but it was based yeah. on fan vote. So okay. it's like... It didn't really take into account how good anyone specifically was. It was just like, oh, who do the fans like more? Um, the only fight from that that I actually respect is the Batman-Captain America fight where they pretty much fight to a standstill 
and realized mm-hmm. that neither of them can beat the other because they would just go forever until one of them got too tired to keep going. So Batman basically... Will- Batman first because Cap has yeah. super Batman system. basically <laughs> willingly lets himself lose to Cap. Like, they kind of agree to it and Cap wins just so they can kind of try and figure out what's going on. And... The hap- it happens similarly in JLA Avengers 2. Cap and Batman are fighting, and Batman's like, this is stupid. We should stop fighting. And Cap is like, I agree. And Batman's like, come on, let's go to my Batcave. There's, uh, I got, I have cool video games to show you. And Cap's like, all right. They, just, they leave the whole battle that's going on and just investigate in the Batcave. And I'm like, Cap and Batman would get along so well. Because Cap has like... Nine, it's four, you want to play? Well, it's like, yeah. Like Cap has dedicated his entire life to stopping evil. And Batman's like, I respect that. That's awesome. That's so cool. I love his shield. Um, but and then yeah, at the very end, Superman's like, "Where can I get a shield like this?" And Thor's like, "Haha, there's none like it in all the realms." And I'm like, "That's adorable." And then Superman's like, "Oh, Thor, uh, I'll give you your hammer back." And he can't lift it again. And he's like, "What?" But I could lift it before. And Thor's like, "Yeah, well, the worthiness enchantment, you know, is on there." And but my father's not stupid, and clearly the hammer could tell that you needed to lift it at that moment, which I like because it's like maybe Superman isn't worthy. Who knows? I think he probably is, but... If anyone would be worthy from DC, it'd be Superman. It would be. It would be Superman. It wouldn't be Wonder Woman. No, because she's like, can go over the edge sometimes. I think I think Wonder Woman is too much like young Thor, where she has too much confidence in herself. Yeah, a little too brash, a little too Yeah, cocky. like Batman also couldn't lift it because there's too much anger and hurt there. Because he's Batman. <laughs> yeah. The, there's Batman would create a machine that could lift it. <laughs> but he cannot wield the hammer himself. But Superman He'll harness worthiness into this machine. I think, especially with the most recent definition of worthiness, as of like War of the Realms, where it's like what makes you worthy is not being worthy, but the constant push to become so. I think yeah. Superman fits that definition, where he's like he's constantly like I want to be better. Spider Man should also be able to lift it, but you know I don't want to. <laughs> I, I think Spider Man has too much like self doubt. That's self-doubt. true. That's true. He wouldn't. He wouldn't, he wouldn't think. He, Spider-Man could do it, but I think he wouldn't think he'd be able to. I think there needs to be, like, a combination, and this is, like, a, just a whole side thing. There needs to be a combination of, like, you're a good person. You need to have enough confidence in yourself to be worthy. Yeah. Too much? You can't lift it because now you're arrogant, but you need to basically be able to be like, I am worthy of doing good with it's a, this. It's a balance of... It's it's a balance of knowing knowing that you're that you're able to pick it up, but also not expecting to not yeah. but also and not it, being like if, you, if you saunter up to it like Tony in Age of Ultron, like I'm gonna lift this and reinstitute Prima Nocta, you can't lift it. Um that's no, like I need to lift this, I'm going to lift this, and that's fine, but not being like, oh, yeah. like I can, he, you he, you're lifting it to do good with it. You're not lifting it. So you can be like, haha, I can lift it. So it's yeah. not like actually that good of an indicator of like, are you a worthy person? It's like, what is your intent with the hammer? Right? Yeah. It's like when, when Thor was unable to lift it because uh, he was told that Gore was right, he no longer felt worthy himself. He, he felt like the gods themselves are unworthy to wield power and he could no longer lift it. Which is why I think Spider-Man wouldn't be able to, because he would yeah. not think he'd he, be, he, be able to he would, he's, That's a very good point. He's too, like, self-deprecating to be able to lift it. It also, it, it, it creates a really good interest as to why Thor and Cap are some of the only people who can, because they have that good balance of, like, pure-heartedness, but also, like, I know what I need to do. Yeah. 
Anyways, <laughs> long discussion. <laughs> JLA Avengers is amazing. Read it somehow. Find it's so much fun. Um, and it just it's earnest. It doesn't feel cynical or like they're like, ooh, I bet we can sell action figures. Like obviously they were like, we're gonna make money off this. Everyone's gonna read this, but it's fun. And back then it was kind of a, I think it was kind of a miracle it even happened, right? Yes. DC and Marvel who were butting heads so much, it was kind of just like it almost didn't happen. And I mean, like I I we're gonna bring up Comic Pop a lot because they they're just so smart. Um, I believe Sal had said that he felt like this was very much like Busaic and Perez are like, we know that this is our last shot at this. So we are going to yeah. cram in references and winks and we nudges. We might get a second one, so we're going to do as much as we yeah, can. We're, we're not getting a sequel to this uh, for a long, long time. So we are going to put our heart and soul into this and you know find ways to include winks and nudges and every team up you've ever wanted to see. We're going we're gonna to go for it right now. So I, I really like it. Okay. All right. Your number three. All right. Well, keeping kind of on topic, what we're just talking about, my number three is a Thor book. Well, technically two books, but it's Oh, one nice. I was like, I don't know when that one is, but I hope I'm teeing you up for it. <laughs> and it is. So oh, nice. Talking. Segway. Segway. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So my number three is two parts, uh, volume one and volume two of Jason Aaron. Oh, bringing Jason Aaron again. Uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run. Uh, Basically, Gore the God Butcher slash uh, God Bomb, which is volume one of volume nice. two. Nice. Uh, I'm not. I was never really a huge Thor fan. Like I've haven't read a lot of other Thor That's comics, fine. to be fair. But this one specifically, it's it's definitely what I would call epic in its scope. It's a very. It's very. It feels like an ancient. It feels like a mytho- like a mythological story. Like it's just. Thor against this insanely powerful enemy, like fighting across time and space, just this grand epic event, like this grand epic, like adventure of Thor taking down this man who is a threat to himself and all that he knows and all the other gods in existence. Yeah. And I mean, the basic premise uh, for those of you who watched Thor of the Thunder, Gore, it's the same villain, but slightly different origins, not well, origin they did in the movie is kind of similar. It's relatively similar, but not exactly. Uh, but what happens later is definitely different from how Gore is in the comics. Um, but basic premise is that Thor is just out doing his thing. He's just kind of having a good time. And then he's the, the book starts off. He's some little girl has prayed to some little alien girl on another planet has prayed to him because their planet's being attacked by invaders and their gods aren't answering. So Thor shows up, kicks the crap out of the invaders, talks to a girl, and it's like... And he doesn't know this. He's like, I'm happy to have helped you, but where are your own gods? And then have come to help you? And she's like, they didn't answer. So he goes to check it out. He goes to like where basically their own Asgard is, in a way, and they're all slaughtered. Oh. And they've been there for a while. Yeah. Like there are like he it's the place he goes there. The place is empty completely. Just it's empty completely. And he finds this like back storeroom that's like locked up and he breaks open the lock, checks inside. And there's just bodies hanging by chains in the ceiling. And he's like, oh, who? What the hell? And then after he looks in a bit more, he finds some evidence. He's like, I know who did this. And then it cuts back in time to a young Thor. Before he has, I think before he has Mjolnir, he just has an axe. Right. But he's hanging on Earth. He's hanging on on Earth, just 
going out and like drinking mead with some Vikings, just having a ball of time. Like you do with the boys. <laughs> Saturdays <laughs> like are for the boys. <laughs> but that that story that begin that cut back to young Thor is when he first meets Gore the God Butcher. And I won't explain now, I won't go through everything that happens, but through the skin of his teeth, he makes it out alive. And then it basically the way the book is written is that it over the first volume it cuts back and forth across three time periods. Current day Thor is investigating all these guys that are dying and what's going on and where Gore might be going next. Past Thor, who and his encounter with Gore the first time, and then future Thor, who has now basically become he's basically morphed into Odin. He's lost an eye, I think he's lost an arm, and he still has Mjolnir, and he's the last one left in Asgard. Yeah. And Gore is basically just like trapped in there to fight for an eternity because they won't let him die. Like they won't they'll fight him, but they won't kill him. Yeah. And but they'll just beat the crap out of him and he's just stuck in this kind of limbo of constant just brawls and brief rest and then brawls again. And it coalesces in through chicanery and like God stuff like the omnipotent city from love and thunder is from that comic as well. Okay. Uh, but it's not really a place where all the gods hang out. Thor just goes there to get information about what's going on. There's like a grand library there. He just goes to check on like find like just research stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so that's the first volume. The first volume is basically just like induction of, Th- of gore setting all this stuff up. And then, Volume two is Gore's master plan coming to fruition and trying to stop it. And the coalescing of all three of these different, basically all three of these Thors get together in one spot in time and have to take down Gore and his master plan. Okay. And I almost well what it is, but it's a, I'm assuming fight. it's a God bomb. <laughs> yes. Uh, I won't explain what that means, but yes, it's a God bomb. Um, and it's uh, the art, I should say, is, is done by Asad Ribic, who his art is really good. But I have one problem with his art is that he sometimes his face is a little weird. Like okay. he, the expressions can be a little like off. That makes sense. Like sometimes they like sometimes they like really wide eyes and like open mouths. And yeah. it kind of looks like it's just it looks weird. Like he also drew the 2015 the Donald Hickman Secret Wars. Like the arts and the environments and everything that and then like the it's like a very campaign style. It looks really good. But just something about like the way he does faces sometimes. Like, just he gives them weird expressions sometimes that throws me off. I feel but like overall, I feel like painting artwork. in general can lend itself to that. Yeah. Like something about just the expressions he he draws are a little off, but overall it's still gorgeous artwork. The one shot from Love of Thunder with uh when Thor, that like giant creature that's like laid out there dead. That's straight from the book. That's literally just a splash page from the comic. Yeah. They just added Korg. Um, yeah, he just added Korg there. Um, Which we didn't all need it all. No, thank you. <laughs> no, less Korg next time. Please. <clears throat> but, yeah, so it's just, it's a really epic Thor story. It's just a fun, dramatic, yeah. like, pulse-pounding adventure of Thor and, like, showing different Thors across time. Like, you get the young and kind of very cocky Thor. You get the more modern, like, the like the more kind of like sensible one who's been through stuff and who's like worked the Avengers and knows how to be part of a team. And, and then the has like, future one who's all bitter future and like grizzled and yeah, grizzled grumpy. and bitter. And he's like very much like he's basically turned into his father okay. um, in a lot of ways. And it's just, it's a great dramatic story. It's so, it's very, 
it's very much just like a what a comic should be. That's awesome. It's just it's a fun story. It's nothing too not too much prose, not too like it doesn't really get into yeah. like philosophical stuff. It's not too like head scratchy. It's not And it does have know, like a huge it has a huge impact on the Thor character. Particularly oh, yeah. because in original sin when he is told by uh, the unseen Gore was right, that causes him to drop the hammer and he doesn't get it back for a really long time. Yeah, like Gore does mess with his head. Oh, bad yeah. because in some ways like some of the things that Gore brings up you can like understand where he's coming from especially knowing yeah. his history and well, like, what he says like it. the gods deserve to die and Thor's like no that's impossible yeah. it's ridiculous but then like as we even see in Thor Love and Thunder a lot of Thor is probably one of the best of the gods honestly he he's actually wanted to do something he he goes and he helps people he wants to you know, be be up and 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 helping them. Whereas oh, several other gods are just like, I'm content to be worshipped. Yeah, but aren't you going to yeah. help the people that worship you? <laughs> no, there always be more. And Thor is like, that's wrong. You know, like Thor is for all of his faults, like a, a good god. <laughs> yeah, I will, the it's funny because Gore in the comic, as opposed to the movie, is an unredeemable monster the whole way through like the the guy does not have an arc he does not turn he is just a he is a butcher and he stays that way until the very end and it's kind of fun that way like he's just an evil evil monster and he just does whatever he needs to do to achieve his goals and there's some pretty there i won't spoil what happens there's some pretty dramatic moments uh there's things i didn't see coming uh and it's just it's a Great read. If you can find it, it's the two volumes. Uh, it's kind of hard to find nowadays because I guess once all the thunder is coming out, everybody popular, wanted to read it. Like I had trouble. I had to. I found the first volume just very luckily by at our LCS at our comic shop, local comic shop, and the second volume had to order off Amazon because yeah. I could not find them anywhere else. So if you can find both of them, try and find them at your local comic shop. If you, yeah, can't, if you can't get them off Amazon, Amazon or or get them via Amazon Kindle bookstop, and read them on your tablet, but yeah. I'm a really strong advocate. Like a Barnes and Noble or something. Yeah, like that, you know, like, I'm a really strong advocate for like as much as you can support your local comic store. Yeah, Amazon gets so much money. Your local comic store could go under at any time. <laughs> yeah. Why? I think, it's all collected in, uh, I think the first three volumes of Aaron's Ron are collected in an omnibus, but that's also kind of hard to find at this yeah. point. But you but I mean, in the, in, the, in the next few years, it should become a little more widespread because it is very popular. But once the love and thunder so. hype dies down, you know, uh, so that's your number three. Yes. Yeah, uh, God butcher, God bomb. My number three. And I, we are talking a lot. So I'm going to try and keep this one a little bit quicker um, for everyone's sake. Uh, Spider-Man life story. Ooh, I perfect. think Spider-Man life story is amazing. Now, the general plot of Spider-Man life story is that it is Spider-Man as a character Except everything happening in real time. Uh, so instead of him starting in the 60s and, you know, 50 years later in the 2010s being 10 years older than he was before, he is aging because like of sliding timescale yeah. um, Marvel, which I mean, I like the sliding timescale. It works. It helps us tell good stories, but it. It's also like, okay, well, what would happen if everyone aged in real time? And we see what would happen. And I'm not going to go into all of it because a lot of things happen. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. And, like, I do yourself a favor and read this. It's fantastic. But it, it just encapsulates Spider-Man so well. It's written by Chip Zdarsky, another of my favorite writers ever. He's amazing. But 
I think Bagley's on art, isn't he? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Zdarsky. Bagley's my favorite Spider-Man artist of like all time. He just like his Spider-Man is so it's Spider-Man. You look at you're like that. That's Spider-Man. All right. (laughs) (laughs) He certainly drew a Spider-Man for me. Uh, No, Bagley's incredible. Zdarsky is brilliant. Um, I can't say Zdarsky. Each each issue is also a different decade. Yeah. So you get the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. And uh, it's pretty much Spider-Man's greatest hits, but done in a way that is different from how you've seen it. And it's yeah, and it's fantastic. It's go read it. It's I don't want to say anything about it because there's too much to say about it. I think if you have a if you have a good knowledge of Spider Man's history, I think you'll get a bit more enjoyment out of it because it's fun seeing these moments you might know. Yeah, and how they got twisted. Like, oh well, you know how Venom is like in Craven's Last Hunt, or how Superior Spider Man plays out. Right. So it's like if you're. It is a love letter to being a Spider-Man like fan. Gwen Stacy and the clone, like the clone yeah. Slug and all that history yeah. work and stuff too. Like if you know the history, you definitely enjoy it more. Even on its own, it stands on its own. It does, but just like if you're a Spider-Man fan and you know these stories, you're gonna be like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Like how I was. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely a concept. I hope they do Marvel does more because they've done that in Fantastic Four life story. I well, I mean, the fact characters. that they've done two, I'm kind of hoping that they do more. Um, what 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 character would you like to see get the life story treatment? If you could pick one. Hmm. It has to be something. Well, the thing is, uh, would be kind of interesting. Like, I feel like it would be tough to do, but an X Men would be interesting. I I feel like it would have to be either. It would ha- you have to focus on one character. Yeah, and it would well, it would have, have to be Wolverine. Kind of worked. Wolverine life story would be incredible. That could be really good. Yeah, Wolverine life story would be really interesting. I'm trying to think who else might work from the uh, X Men. Beast. No, I'm trying to think in general. From like, yeah. Oh. Well, I think Beast is a little hard to write. Is it like a solo story, Han? Right, but um, I feel like he would be because he's Beast or Cyclops because they they were on the OG team and they're so tied to the X Men, but have also done separate things. Like Beast has been an Avenger. I think that that would be the best way. Like like do an X Men life story, but make Beast the POV character. Like have him watching think, uh, it get formed. Have him turning in blue. Have him watch. Professor X die and Scott descend into madness and stuff like that. Like Beast, I think would be an excellent POV character. Not modern Beast. Modern Beast is a monster. <laughs> I think I thought too. I think Hulk or Daredevil could work well. Hulk life story. Pretty story history. Hulk life uh, story. Across. There's only one man who can write that though, and we all know who that is. Peter David. Peter David. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so glad you said that because like, if you say someone else, I'm going to sound so stupid. <laughs> it's got to be Peter David. Peter David gets Hulk so well. I think I think we do a Daredevil one and be just, it'd just be Zadarsky again. Yeah, Zadarsky or heaven forbid Frank Miller. Don't let him draw it and keep him on a tight leash, but maybe let Frank Miller write it. Yeah, keep like keep like Miller on a leash, kind of like they did with uh, Dark Knight Three. Yeah, that was actually fairly. Don't let him go all star though. Don't let oh, don't let him go all star. <laughs> Don't no. don't do that. No, uh, I think Miller, but also like Miller doesn't do it do a ton anymore, does he? No. He so doesn't. that might that might lead to the book having heavy delays. Whereas I feel like Zadarsky is really used to writing on a schedule. And also Zadarsky's proven he knows Daredevil really well. So I think if yeah. I have to write it well, it would be him. Iron Man life story would also be a lot of fun. That could be interesting. That, I don't know if he has as like, much like of a, like big moments in his history you could really cover. Man, so, like, Mask and the Iron Man, Armor Wars, and, Demon in the Bottle, Armor yeah. Wars. 
uh, time with the Avengers, in. superior Iron Man. Make, make make his like old man thing be superior Iron Man, where he's like feels godlike as at his old age. I think that'd be a lot of fun. A book about uh, actually another we're kind of sidetrack. I think a good one, like Hank and Jan life story, like Ant Man and the Wasp life story, could be interesting. Put some respect on Hank Pym's name. <laughs> Please. Okay. Like, look, I just, this is my mini rant for the episode. He hit his <laughs> wife. I get it. We, it's unforgivable. The, the writer was like, man, it wasn't supposed to be that harsh. I wrote him just like turning around and inadvertently hitting her. The art made it so intense. Now here <laughs> we are. It happened one time when he was in the midst of a mental breakdown. It was like, haha, wife beater. It's like, no, it happened once in the midst of a mental breakdown. It doesn't make it okay, but it does mean that he isn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to hit Jan again. Please. Justice. I love Hank Pym so much. <laughs> What's your number two? Yeah. <laughs> What's your number two? Uh, my number two is a book that I wasn't sure I'd like when I first read it, but after getting a few, hearing enough about it, uh, Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Carrads, which are their own dynamic duo. What They've is done a lot of stuff now? Now, for those of us not in the know, me, can you please detail Mr. Miracle's abilities? Uh, Mr. Miracle, as far as you know, he doesn't have any superhuman abilities, really. He's just skilled and okay. he is an expert and the best I think there is in the DC universe of getting out of things like escaping from any sort of confinement from any sort of trap okay like he's just he's a skilled combatant he's a skilled fighter right but he's also just his his gimmick and his trick is that he can escape from anything okay all right and the Mr. Miracle miniseries uh is it starts off basically the premise of it starts off very it's a trigger warning, I guess, in a way, but it starts off with uh, Mr. Miracle attempting suicide. Oh, OK. Well, yeah, he has the idea. He basically he says later on that he has the thought of it. He wonders he's dealing with depression, but also if he can escape death. Um, but before he actually before anything happens, his wife finds him and takes him to the hospital. His wife covers, being Big Barda, yeah, Big Barda, who is amazing. Uh, Big Bart is fantastic in this book. Okay. Um, but basically, the premise of the book is it's just a deep introspection look into Scott Free, Mr. Miracle's life, and kind of where he sees himself and where he fits in with things. Because uh, I'll give a brief history of I'll just very, very brief for anyone who doesn't know who Mr. Miracle is. And like, Mr. Miracle is, I think, created by Jack Kirby. He's one of the, with the fourth world characters. So is like he the new p- gods. Yeah, he's part of the new gods. He's yeah, he's one of the new gods. But the whole premise of his story is that uh, to garner peace between apocalypse and and uh, uh, new genesis, uh, high father and dark side traded sons. So uh, Scott is the son of high father, who's the head of who's the lead of new genesis, and he and went like, to live. And he's like a good dude, right? High, high father's, father's basically yeah. High father's a good dude. Okay. Like it's it's really good and evil. Like high like New Genesis is like the good people. The apocalypse is like the evil people. But so Scott Free was traded I just, to. I would just like to, to point out apocalypse. that the planets are called Genesis, which means a beginning, and apocalypse, which means end. Yeah, very so subtle, Scott, Kirby. Very subtle. So Scott went to live on Apocalypse and was raised by uh, Dark Side. The, uh, not really Dark Side, but the most misnamed character, or at least the most like Granny uh, Goodness. 
Yeah. Yeah, Granny Goodness. Yeah, Granny Goodness, which is a ridiculous, a crazy character. It's a Granny but Goodness stan account. <laughs> he's raised by Granny Goodness on Apocalypse, while Darkseid's son Orion was raised on New Genesis by High Father and the New Gods. And Orion's like a hero, but Orion's like not, aggressive, yeah. right? Orion's not a bad. Orion is just kind of a dick. Yeah, he's super like, aggro, but yeah, he's like very. He has a chip on his shoulder, obviously being the son of Darkseid. I would too. Uh, That's fair. But he's he's just very aggressive, but he tra- he's still trying to be a hero. He's not like a secretly a bad guy. He's not like, you know, a spy for Apocalypse or anything like that. Um, but so, yeah, Scott Free, he grew up on Apocalypse. He, Scott Free. Uh, that's when he met Big Barda, who was one of Granny Goodness's like uh, Furies. Yeah. Like her kind of like henchwoman. And Big Barda fell for him because Scott had this kind of Scott would continually escape from like the kind of like pit they were in. And then, jokingly, Big Bar- Granny Goodness gave him the name Scott Free. And Big Barda fell for him because she. And there's a great line that she has in the book where she's like, no matter how many times he got brought back into the pit, no matter how many times he got, like, tortured for it later or, like, you know, got reprimanded for it, whenever he was escaping, he always had a smile on his face. That's adorable. He always had this, okay. he always had this cocky... He always had this cocky smile on his face, and That's that, cute. like, was something I'd never... Excuse me. That was something I'd never seen before on Apocalypse. Wow, and that's when I started to fall for him. That's okay, and it's just a great line. And so then, cut to years later, a lot of stuff happens because it's still steeped in the history of New Genesis and all of the Jack Kirby stuff in the Fourth World. Mister uh, Miracle, uh, he has become like an escape art. Like his job is just he's an escape artist, so he basically does like Harry Houdini type stuff, where he just and he's, he always pulls it off. Um, so he's on New Gen- he's on uh, Earth. He's just doing his thing. And Big Barda is just kind of being a superhero. Like the characters, they, call, they get called in to help with, like the Justice League might call them in sometimes. And they're just doing their thing. But, uh, okay. So, yeah. So it's just like, it's just a story going through how he's dealing with this depression. His manager, uh, a guy named, I think, Oberon, I think, uh, died recently oh, so he's man. kind of dealing with he's dealing with the loss of that who's a care a person he really cared for and it just goes through this story of him and barda there's uh, a whole big war happens when you fought between the and apocalypse he used to go take part in that yeah and it just puts a lot of weight on his shoulders and it's, just, it's a really great just introspection to character not a lot of people think of and well, i mean tom so king's many- great at that like taking like a character and taking them out of just being a superhero yeah. And being like, what about them as a person? Like, there's just so many great little moments mm-hmm. of character development between Scott and like, you see the love that he has for his wife That's and what they have for so each sweet. other. That's beautiful. And the, the, vulnerabil- the vulnerability they have with each other because they both feel broken in ways. And it's really, it's a beautiful story. I think everyone should read it. And it's got good action bits. Like, there's some drama with like the war yeah. that he takes part in. And eventually, to spoil a little bit, eventually they had a son, and ah! him dealing with being a father. What? This is, oh man! And like trying to learn how to be a father, and like how he can handle the stuff, and like this, the the That's so the wonderful. fears that come with being that come with being a dad for the first time. Of course, and it's just wow. The, I was I was well, one. There's one great sequence where they're making their way through this like facility on Apocalypse. But the whole time they're doing all this, you're like all these crazy dramatic things. Like they're like fighting monsters, yeah. they're killing guards, they're like going through death traps. And the whole time they're just discussing how they should renovate their apartment That's for the baby. So cute. Oh my gosh. 
I love that. I it's love so that. great. I love that issue. I love that sequence the most of anything in that book. I don't doubt but it. That it just, sounds amazing. It's just, it's a great book. Mitch Grodd's art is fantastic. The dude's an amazing artist. They, in homage to older comics, they harness the whole books in the nine panel grid style, like from Watchmen, that kind of was, that's been kind of come like a, a, yeah, a very common style or a very unique style to comics and especially to DC. So it's kind of an homage to that. And like, it's a, it's a homage to Jack Kirby, Love Letter to Him. It's kind of an homage to Alan Moore and like Watchmen itself with the nine panel grid. And it's just, it's a fantastic book. Everyone should read it, even if you don't really know anything about Mr. Miracle or DC in general. It just, it's a very grounded book, but it's so good. And nice. it's my favorite DC book of all time. So, awesome. That's my number two. Okay. My number two is also my favorite DC book of all time. Hey. What a what segue! Uh, <laughs> Batman the Long Halloween. Oh, I, I mean, what was there a say? <laughs> uh, yeah, like I wanted to. I wanted to avoid stories that every that are on everyone's best of lists, but I couldn't avoid Long Halloween. I no, ad- it was too good. I adore this story. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, Tim Sale. I don't remember how to pronounce his name. I think I think just Sale. Sale. Okay. Um, I say it. It looks incredible. It's so stylized. It's written incredibly. It's it's tight. It's such a tight story, and I think what I love about it is that. It doesn't matter whether it's pre-crisis, post-crisis, whatever. This story fits. It's just... Mm -hmm. It's just like Batman, he's been Batman for like two years-ish, and this happens. And this can happen on every universe, because it doesn't mess around with continuity too much. It doesn't try and shock you and twist you. It's just like, here's what happens. Here is Batman, and here's him having to realize that his presence in Gotham, while beneficial, means that people are going to change. It's, you're not, he's not fighting the mob anymore. He, he is fighting... Like, like, it's changing the guard from yeah. the mobsters to the aid to the supervillain. To, yeah, to the rogues gallery. It's, it's Batman at his most detective-y, right? He's not, he can't punch this problem. He has to pick up clues and, and interview suspects and it's it's a young, vulnerable Batman learning what he has to be. If by some chance whoever's listening hasn't read it, the basic premise Please is that just read it. There's a yeah. someone is murdering people on every no, house. Not just people. Every They're holiday. murdering members and associates of the Falcone crime family. Every and I think also the uh Maroni, I think some of them get taken out too. Either way, but crime family members yeah. are being taken out. Members of the holiday. mob are being taken out. And, and it's right across one year. And, yeah, and Halloween. it's Halloween to Halloween, and it deals with Batman, Harvey Dent, and Commissioner Gordon forming a dynamic trio in order to try and take this down. And it has inspired so many Batman adaptations, so many Batman interpretations, so many movies. So many. It is. Yeah, if you've seen any <clears throat> modern Batman movie, like live action, they took Cell Mel for Long Halloween. Yeah, there, there's something from it in there. Like Dark Knight, lots of Long Halloween in there. The Batman, lots of Long Halloween in there. Oh, yeah. It is definitive. It is, in my opinion, the definitive Batman story. Screw yeah, you, so. Dark Knight I've... Returns. <laughs> um, 
No, I, uh, yeah, I, I can agree with that. I think it just it captures what makes Batman such a compelling character. He's not in like God mode. He's not like, well, because I'm Batman, I can figure out everything because he's young. He hasn't learned how to do all of that yet. He it, he has to take things slowly. He he has to deal with loss and betrayal and hurt and he feels very human. He's a detective. It's a mystery. I'm not going to spoil the mystery for you if you haven't read it. Please just mm. read it. Don't watch the long Halloween movie no, no, first either. It is good. I've recently rewatched it. It is good, but it's not as good as the comic. This is the, one of the times I'm going to be like, read the comic first. Not a very faithful adaptation of it. No, it's a it's a good story on its own. Like it's a great standalone thing. It takes a lot from the comic. It's really fun. It has lots of. It's animated well, has good voice acting, whatever. But read the comic first. Read Long Halloween. It's incredible. That's my number two. Jared, okay. your number one. Uh, my number one is probably very niche to some, but it's... I know uh, what it is. As you mentioned, yeah, you know what it is. Uh, Moon Knight from the Dead. Oh, yeah, um, it's Moon Knight. Uh. <laughs> Moon Knight Simp. Boo. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Um, this is written by Warren Ellis, who we know is a controversial figure, but can't... Uh, go past his his writing, uh, and it's art by Declan Shalvey, who does a fantastic job. Uh, interestingly, this is a Moon Knight book that is an anthology. Oh. Um, each story is disconnected from the other one. Um, it's just five really fun and cool little Moon Knight stories um, that just are all just bombastic and entertaining and visually interesting. Like Declan's art is gorgeous the whole way through it's it's dynamic it's like brutal and bloody at times and it's introduction it's the intro it puts it's the introduction to my favorite moon knight outfit which is the mr knight suit which of if course. you've seen yeah, the plus show shows up um that i love that outfit so much uh it still takes in elements of his did from the previous series by jeff lemire um and it's just it's just a fun read. Like each, each individual issue is some little compact story. Like each one of them could be my favorite story, but they're all so good and just so entertaining. It's just him doing what he does best, just walking the streets, cracking heads, doing needs to be done to protect the people that need protecting, and just solving like myst- solving these brief mysteries. It's just it's a fun. It's just quintessential of like why I like Moon Knight because he's. It, he's gone past just being Marvel's Batman. Like we discussed earlier, he's gone past being just Marvel's Batman. Um, even though there's in some elements in this kind of feel like it's a Batman story in a way, but at least like the violent side of it, not so the detective side of it. But it's just, it's just fun. Like each issue is interesting to read. Each one stands out on its own. And it's only five issues, but like there's some great moments. Like I won't spoil too much, but there's like one of the issues, there's like British punk rock ghosts that are going around tormenting people in new york city i'm not gonna explain why or how that's happening but then he has to get this special armor so he can punch the ghosts and it's, it's ridiculous but great um the fourth issue if any of you if any of the listeners have seen the movie dread is very much like that where it's nice. just him working his way up an apartment block to rescue this girl that's at the top that's cool. and it's just each there's not much dialogue just him working his way through these goons in really brutal and bloody ways but the art is so dynamic and shows the action so well it's just it's like watching a movie. Just every punch and kick and throw is, chore- is choreographed so well. That's awesome. And it's, just, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I there's not. I can't get too deep into it. It's not unlike Mr. Miracle. It's not really as deep introspection into the character. It's just Moon Knight being a badass and being fun and looking cool 
and doing dope things. And that's really all I can really say. That's, about a, that's it. amazing. It's just fun. And if you can find a copy, I think it's, I might be able to print, which sucks. If no! you find a copy, if you can find a copy, read it. I got mine and thank goodness I have mine. Uh, if you, you can always find things digitally, the like comicsology is still around for now. Um, but definitely, if you're at all curious about Moon Knight, definitely give it a read. If you liked the show, definitely give it a read because elements from that definitely were taken from it, especially the Mr. Knight outfit. The show overall deals more, tales, takes more from the Jeff Lemire run, which came before it, but still, it's a lot of fun. And just, it's Moon Knight's my favorite Marvel character, or actually, second favorite Marvel character behind Spider Man. And it's just a blast to read. It's just a lot of fun. It's just, it's a short read, too. It's not a very thick book, it's only five issues. And it's not like a big tome you have to read through. It's just a, it's something you can read in the afternoon. It's just it's nice, entertaining, and just what comics are and what they should be at times. So, yeah, <laughs> that's all nice. I say about it. It's just fun. So that's your number one. My number one. Uh, this is the comic book I credit with getting me fully into comic books. Uh, before this, I'd watched cartoons. I'd read a few issues of Spider Man that my dad happened to have. But this was the first thing I ever, the first big thing I ever read. Uh, I still own it today. I attained it in a very odd transaction in that someone lent it to me. I, I did Taekwondo at the time. Someone lent it to me, and I was going to read it and give it back. But then a few weeks later, my parents pulled me out of Taekwondo. I didn't do anything wrong or whatever, just like, no, I wasn't loving it anymore. And yeah. I totally forgot I had this guy's comic. Oh. And uh, didn't think of it. It was on my shelf until years later. I'm like cleaning up and I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't even remember the guy's name. I couldn't even. Call him the thief. <laughs> yeah. So I basically was like, I'm never getting rid of this. I also reread it and was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And uh, anyways, this, this changed me from someone who just was like, superheroes are cool to someone who likes comic books. And it's Avengers Forever. Okay. It's written by Kripp Usaic. Art is by Carlos someone. Uh, just, just, just let me figure this one out. By Carlos Pacheco. Did the, did the okay. art on it. Um, so it was written in, like, like by Kripi Sack and Roger Stern. Uh, penciled by Carlos Pacheco, inked by Jesus Marino, colorist by Steve Olaf. It was awesome. Okay, this is a grand cosmic retcon for the Avengers. Um, essentially, this takes place at. It was published, in, I believe, two thousand four. So it takes place at about present day. Rick Jones has fallen sick. And is taken up to the blue area of the moon so the supreme intelligence can, can look and be like, hey, is this dude all right? Because if you, if you guys remember, or if you know, in the Kree-Skrull War, Rick Jones was a key figure in this. And he actually, he, from his mind, unleashed, like, like heroes that he read about in comic books, okay? Oh, okay. Or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, they were able to turn the tide. It's very cool. So Rick clearly has some sort of Kree-based power. So they bring him to the Avengers, bring him to the Supreme Intelligence and check on him, check on him. And then uh, Amortis shows up and Amortis is, is Kang from the future. 
where he's no longer like, I'm going to conquer things, but he's instead like, I'm going to lord over time and be kind of just a cosmic jerk. Not like a jerk, but like a bureaucrat. And present day Kang is like, you suck. You're a loser. What a nerd you are. I don't like you. Conquering is where it's at. And um, so... Amortis tries to kill Rick Jones because the Destiny War is going to happen. What's the Destiny War? I'll get into that. Uh, Amortis <laughs> tries to kill Rick Jones. Kang shows up and he's like, ha no. Screw you, Amortis. And basically these whole armies from across time show up to kill Rick Jones. And this mysterious dude, uh, I believe his name is Libra, with his Jordy LaForge visor shows up and he's like, Rick, you once pulled heroes from your subconscious, but now you will pull them from time. And he like touches Rick Jones head and issue one ends with like these blasts flaring out and you see the the Avengers standing there and it's like, oh my gosh, but it's Avengers from throughout time. That's why it's called Avengers forever. Huh? Huh? Time? What? Uh, And it's, it's, Wasp and Giant Man from the present day. So okay. Wasp and Hank from the present day. Yellow Jacket. So also Hank Pym, but from Ooh, a nice. time when he thought he was a different person who had killed Hank Pym. Okay. So Yellow Jacket is not aware he is actually Hank Pym. Hawkeye okay. from okay. post Cree Scroll War. Hawkeye was Goliath, isn't anymore, just recently became Hawkeye. No trick arrows. Just a dude with a bow and arrow. Okay? Captain America, alright? However, from a unique point in his history, when he was dealing with the original Secret Empire, not the Hydra thing, but, like, the Watergate thing. Okay. Where he basically realized that number one of the Secret Empire was a, a political leader who killed himself rather than face justice. And mm. it's heavily implied that it was Nixon. Okay. <laughs> like, it's, they don't say, hey, it was Nixon, but they're like, it was Nixon. Um, <laughs> so Cap, basically, this is like just before Cap would become like Nomad. Okay. Because, so, but he's still Captain America, so that's true, but he also has super strength. He briefly had like legitimately superhuman strength. Okay. So he's not just like peak athleticism. He he can like lift like a, like, like like a truck, right? But he's yeah. shattered and demoralized. Um and then you've got Genus Vale or Genus Vale, who is the son of Marvel from the future, who's the new Captain Marvel. He's a jerk. You also have Songbird, who's like a member of the Thunderbolts, but in she's from an alternate future in which she joined the Avengers. That is your Avengers team for that Avengers team. forever. All right, and so basically they have to stop Amortis and stop this Destiny War. Um, honestly, so much happens, I can't remember it all, but, like, there's a bunch of retcons to Avengers history. It's revealed that, like, space phantoms were involved in stuff. They travel through time, form different teams. Uh, Yellow Jacket briefly betrays them upon realizing he actually was Hank Pym. Okay. Um, and he basically is like, he basically makes a deal with Amortis being like, I'll, I'll help you if you change time so I stay me. I don't want to remember mm-hmm. that I'm Hank Pym. I want to stay this, this cool guy forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 
it's uh, have a big battle. It's really fun. It's revealed in one of my favorite parts that everyone was chosen for a reason, right? Captain America was chosen from his lowest point because, yes, he's Captain America as a symbol. He brings cohesion. However, because he's at his lowest point, he's not his personality won't dominate the team, which allows Wasp to lead because it's a confident Wasp from the present day who uh, can lead, but with more flexibility than Cap might usually allow, okay. given the weird nature of this uh, team up. Uh, Giant yeah. Man, who was there to provoke Yellow Jacket into betraying them briefly so they could get where they needed to be. Uh, Hawkeye. Because, you know, another backbone of the team, but also had connections to other members, kind of to help motivate them in different ways. Uh, Genus Vale, who's actually in his time in love with Songbird. So her being there helps motivate him to do the right thing. And it's very interesting that it's like, like Libra's like, okay, all these players were chosen for a reason. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's written by Busaic. So like I said, with JLA Avengers, it's a man who can take a large and a disparate and diverse cast of characters and make something good out of it. Um, <laughs> there's a whole issue where it's just Kang reflecting on his life and, like, his backstory. That's awesome. It's tons of fun. Um, it's, it's just, it's really good. It's, I want to say 12 issues because it's a miniseries. What miniseries isn't 12 issues? Um, but it's just... Really fantastically written. It's really entertaining. It it delves deep into Avengers history, um, like the wedding of Scarlet Witch and Vision and Swordsman and Mantis. At the same, like there's a double wedding officiated by Immortus. Um, it delves deep into that. It delves into history, like as early as you know Avengers issue two. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So it is it is a fascinating story that um, you know retcons a bunch of stuff. Uh, rebonds Rick F- Jones to Captain Marvel, and oh, it's just really fun. It looks beautiful. Carlos Pacheco is a great, great artist. Um, Kurt Busiek is, again, one of my favorite writers. He's just so magnificent at weaving a story together with a lot of characters and making you care about all of them. Uh, so, yeah, but also, but most importantly, yeah, as fun as it is, it is the comic book that made me love comic books, so... The grand time traveling tale. Yeah, it's stupid. It's definitely stupid, <laughs> but in a good way. Um, I really, I really enjoy it. So, yeah, that is that is our top five comic books each. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, either you can reach out to either of us on Twitter. Both of those links are in the description. If you're listening to this on a podcatcher, and uh, or if you're on YouTube in the comments uh but yeah show up on twitter tell us how wrong we are and why we shouldn't like the comics that we like or post your own top five if you want. yeah to. Uh, tell us sh- share with us your own top five i'm curious to see what other people's are if you like the podcast number one thing you can do is share it though mm-hmm. share it with other people um in any way shape or form whether that be on a podcatcher or on a youtube write it in a Red little word. write it in a little letter and throw a paper airplane uh tell people <laughs> listen to the beyond the panel podcast but uh, no, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, for Beyond yeah. the Panel Podcast, my name is Colin. I'm Jared. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.